0: appreciate the kind words. Well, good morning, everybody. Good to see you all this morning. You look good. Most of you haven't aged a bit. I won't name who has. We are uh, always glad to come back to Manitoba. As uh, get to meet old friends, we usually come and uh, head right to camp and while at camp we get to connect with a lot of people in uh, the whole church life you know i cut my teeth on a pentecostal pew so that's all i know in terms of the life of the church and we meet a lot of friends and just great to great to reconnect i've already been bombarded with a bunch of questions about my family so i'll give you about a, a 1 minute update before i get into the message here uh, of course ev is down at the camp doing the preschool again her 21st year she just keeps on ticking uh, Rachel, our oldest daughter, got married. Yeah. Yeah. I'm way too young to, to have that happen. But uh, Ray and Ben have been married since December. Uh, Sarah just graduated from high school and is getting ready to go to, the, to university and uh, study elementary education and special ed. So we're really excited about that. And Andrew is uh, going into grade 11. So uh, they've grown a little bit since we've been here. You probably wouldn't recognize them. So I invited them to come today, but they're too busy wanting to be with their friends. You know what, you know what that's all. That, that sounded bad about you guys, didn't it? No. The, well, I better stop there. Uh, a couple other real quick things before I dive in here. I do have, last year I came and uh, I've, I've got a few books that I've, uh, released over the years and I brought a couple of them with me. Uh, they're at the back table. If you're interested, you might want to pick one up some, asked me last year about them. Uh, I'll only mention one thing about the book called uh, Forgiveness, Reconciliation and Restoration. Uh, This is written from Pentecostal perspectives. I'm the editor, but it's a collection of essays. There's an essay in there about how Pentecostal reads the shack. There's an essay in there on uh, Stephen Harper's uh, public public acts of forgiveness and a Pentecostal response to that. The Rwandan genocide, uh, uh, South African reconciliation there's an article in there about uh, pastors, churches, and reconciliation with pastoral uh, uh, failures that take place. So it's quite a, a multidisciplinary piece. So if you're interested in that subject, uh, please check it out. One more thing, and this is not a, a plug. I'm actually doing some research right now on Canadian Pentecostalism and recently stumbled on a name that I'd never heard of before. And go figure that Brandon was one of the main locations where early Pentecostalism emerged in Canada. Many people are familiar with the big stations like Toronto and Montreal and um, and Winnipeg with the Argue family. Some of you are familiar with that. But uh, there was a name, uh, Ernest Paul. If anybody knows that name, Ernest Paul, I would like to have you come and talk to me after service. Ernest Paul, very briefly, received the baptism in the Holy Spirit in 1907 only a few months after the Azusa Street Revival broke out in L.A. and he became immediately connected with the revival in Chicago. This is in 1907, folks. There was no Facebook. There was no Internet. This was snail mail. And uh, he was quite a prolific writer, and so I'm really quite interested in uh, in doing some further research on him. Well, we better dive in. So today I want to talk about uh, the subject of Paul the Gospel and empire. Uh, When I was invited by Ruth a few months ago to come and speak, and I don't see her this morning. Is she not here? Oh, she's at camp, sure. She invites me and doesn't show. Uh, I don't know if I got this exactly right, but if I misquote her, she'll get over it. Um, When she sent me the email inviting me on the the Facebook message, she said, uh, why don't you come and speak on Canada Day? It will be American missionary coming to Canada. I was utterly offended by that, and I'm still rather bitter, so I'll go and hunt her down later today and and, and let her have that, yeah. So uh, I am still Canadian, and uh, my name is in fact Marty, and I am, well, actually forget me to, play a video for me and let me kind of give you an idea of who I am. If you're offended by this, get over it. Just don't watch the end. All ready to roll up there. And
1: I don't live in an igloo or eat blubber or own a dog sled. And I don't know Jimmy, Sally, or Susie from Canada, although I'm certain trainer.
0: <laughs> really, really
1: nice. I have a, own a prime dog minister sled. And not I don't know Jimmy. I speak or English Susie and French, Canada. not American. And I pronounce it about, not a boot. I can proudly sew my country's flag on my backpack. I believe in peacekeeping, not policing, diversity, not assimilation, and that the beaver is a truly proud and noble animal. A tooth is a hat, the Chesterfield is a coach, and it an is pronounced Zed, not Zed, Z Canada is the second largest land mass, the first nation of hockey, and the best part of North America. My name is Joe, and I am Canadian.
2: Whoa,
0: whoa, whoa, whoa. get that off of there. Whoa, whoa, whoa. whoa you guys remember that commercial from a few years ago? Yeah, it's probably about 10 years old now. I am Joe and I am Canadian. And really quite interesting, the whole like Canadian identity that comes with that, much of it is saying how different we are, in fact, from Americans. Canadian identity is very often wrapped up with that. And please, I want you to realize I am fully Canadian. One more, real quick, if you got it. This one, I mean, I still cry when I see this. I mean, it's just, it's probably, I just, go. It's, it's awesome. It's, it's slow, isn't it? It's slow. Well, if you don't have it, don't worry about it. Just show the picture. Just show the, show the next picture there, if you would, Peter. Oh. Come on, you guys. Come on. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that beautiful? Are you guys there? Yeah? Okay, come on. Come on. I mean, I carry that flag down there in Missouri. I mean, you got, I expect more cheers here. Well, you know, I mean, one of my favorite sla- pictures is um, the, 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 the picture there of Crosby and his, his game-winning stance, uh, if we take a look at that, and then the picture right beside it. I love that with um, Ryan Miller. I showed this as an introduction to class for a number of weeks and I just put that right up on there. And I just, you know, remember that scene? Miller just laying flat on the ice after giving up the goal. Beautiful. It's just beautiful, isn't it? So indeed, my name is Marty. And I am Canadian. The whole idea, though, of being connected to a nation is something that is very, very integral to the concept of what it means to be the people of God, to be a follower of Jesus. And uh, as I've lived in the United States, I've become more and more uh, aware of something that I knew before I went there, but it's more and more prevalent as you live there, that of American nationalism. And the question you have to ask at some time is, what can go too far? What is the difference between being patriotic and being nationalistic? And I take a look at stuff like this. These are photographs, pictures that I've collected over the years. I can only show you a handful of them. But I don't know about you guys, but I find some of that rather offensive. I hope you would. Pretty over the top. And there's the kind of statements that you just go, wow. Um, some of you might know the great theologian George Bush, who uh, a number of years ago made this statement. He said, listen very carefully. America is the hope of all mankind. That hope is still the light unto our way. The light that shines in the darkness and the darkness will not overcome it. There is power, wonder-working power in the goodness and idealism of the American people. That's rather earth-shattering, isn't it? That's pretty scary. That's over the top. I think it's going too far. Not to uh, hang out uh, George Bush here, but uh, how about Barack Obama? Not all that better. That uh, much better. On Letterman, in April of 2007, he states, this country is still the last best hope on planet Earth. Seems to me some guy named Jesus was the primary hope of humanity. Right? So this whole concept is something that I think we need to consider. Americans uh, also, this patriotism gets caught up and they, they don't really understand the convergence of the gospel and country. Recently a Bible came out called the American Patriots Bible. Any of you seen it? It's published by Thomas Nelson Publishers. Not a run-of-the-mill kind of press. It's one of the top ones and you can see it up there. And if you check out their Facebook, go look at it, research it. Uh, I mean, it's it's absolutely nauseating. It is utterly offensive, for my opinion. You read it and check it out yourself. Take a look at some of the lines there. Opening pages. Adam and Eve, first family. George and Martha, the new first family. Moses, freedom fighter. Abraham Lincoln, freedom fighter. Jesus and the Twelve, founding fathers, the first Congress, the delegates, first founding fathers. I don't know about that. Listen to a a review, a statement that is made by um, Richard Gamble. The publisher's marketing strategy makes the message plain. Its advertising campaign is slick and aggressive. The Bible's website features a short promotional video that has to be seen to be believed. No satire is possible to the accompaniment of stirring music. Three pictures, pairs of pictures fade slowly in and out of view. The first shows Adam and Eve. George and Martha, followed by First Family, Second Moses and Abe Lincoln, followed by Freedom Fighters. In a delightful faux pas, the producers picked an engraving of Moses about to shatter the tablets of the law, but uh, that's kind of out there. The third outdoes the first two by showing Jesus with his disciples at the Last Supper, and then the delegates of the Continental Congress, followed by the caption, Founding Fathers. Just in case you would missed the point, the video ends with the words, Sometimes History Repeats Itself. But there's still more. A couple of years ago I went out at Christmas time, driving down the road, just a few blocks from my house, and I come across this uh, nativity scene. Are you guys looking at this? Is your is your silence and your, your shock I mean, okay, let's you want to put Canadian flags in there? Do you see where the flag is all wrapped? That'd be alright, we're not that bad. An Israeli flag, that'd be perfect. A Colombian flag, where's my friend? That'd be great. How about a Pakistani flag? How about a Chinese flag? Is God for the nation or is God for the nations? Is God for one nation or is God for humanity? And the whole concept of what it means to be people of God, to be people of the kingdom of God, is something that I want us to really reflect on this morning. One more concept, and this is so... so. uh, uh, real to me, given where I live, how many have ever been to Branson? As I live in Springfield, Missouri, Branson is only 30 miles from from my doorstep. Branson is the the center for rah 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 America, and in fact, Branson shows the Chamber of Commerce has this policy, this law. What you have to do to have a show is have three components. The first component, you can do whatever you want: honky tonk, disco. Variety show, whatever kind of gig you've got, you can do it. The second part has to have a gospel component. So they switch from singing, you know, Greece and John Travolta or Oak Ridge Boys and all of a sudden they're singing God bless, they're singing Amazing Grace and Tis So Sweet. And then all of a sudden toward the end they're singing God Bless America, the greatest place in the world and people are standing and it's like a worship service and the blend from singing Amazing Grace to singing about the nation it's, it's, it's incredible. It's like they don't see any difference at all. That's rather frightening. Now I think Canada has certainly not gone to that length. But I do want to get you to think a little bit about what it means to be the people of God. And so we're going to do that this morning by looking at the city of Philippi. Paul's letter to the Philippians. And I'm going to give you a real quick run through that letter. My guess is that for many in this room, if you've been a Christian for a long time, Philippians is one of the best love letters, isn't it? How many love to read Philippians? Just go through it. It's, it's an easy read. It's, it's encouraging. It's comfortable. It's often referred to as the joy letter. It's often referred to as the thanksgiving letter. You learn a lot about gratitude as Paul thanks the Philippians for, his, for the gift that they send to him while he's in prison, presumably in Rome, which is important. And then also it's a letter that really deals with friendship and partnership in the gospel. There's really some nice themes in there that are, that are pretty prominent. And those are the ones that are kind of the, the glue that holds everything together. But underneath, Pastor Paul can never just say thank you. Pastor Paul can just never put away his pastoral label. In writing this letter, there's an undercurrent that very much connects Philippi to Branson. I'm going to suggest to you that Philippi is the Branson of the first century. It was built originally, you can see, and if you take a look at a map, it is in Greece. Geographically, it is in Greece. It was settled by the Greeks several hundred years before Jesus. It was uh, ultimately destroyed and then rebuilt as the Romans came to power. When it was rebuilt, it was rebuilt not as a Greek city, but as a Roman colony. And it was the retirement center for all people powerful in Rome. So if you were a part of the empire, and you were one who gave good service, diligent service to the empire, whether it was in in military service, whether it was in civic service, anything, where you really raised the flag of the empire, raised the profile of the empire, they had condos for you in Philippi. You would go to Philippi, and that's where you would say. And it was referred to by some as "Little Rome." They were statues everywhere—the statues, the architecture, the tombs, the uh, the labels, the coinage. Everything smacked of Caesar. Everything was about paying homage to Caesar. So I want you to see this as a as a background. So as you take a look at Philippi, the great adage that you would see there would be, "My name is whoever." And I'm proud to be a Roman. So when Paul writes to these new Christians in Philippi, relatively new, this is the undercurrent that I want you to see. Now I want you to, if you have your Bibles, you can hold them open, or if you have your devices, my pastor said that recently. Get out your devices and uh, take a look at some translations they have. I'm going to call upon a couple of you to to, to help me out in a few seconds here. But Philippians 3.20, a verse that many people know off by heart, And in fact, this is a translation that is done very, very well. You know the passage? Our citizenship is in heaven. Now, unfortunately, through the last hundred years or so, Christians have butchered this passage. What they have thought is that our citizenship in heaven is some place where we're about to go. Our citizenship is not here. Our citizenship is of another place. It's not here. But of course, what I'm going to try to say to you this morning, and allow me to build my case with other passages, is that Paul is saying it's a citizenship of another kind. And when he uses the word heaven, he's not speaking of location, he's speaking of kind, of form. Are you with me so far? The word that he uses there is polos, politoima. And you can see where we get our word. Polos, city, politics. That's the word. Our citizenship... Our, our life in the kingdom of God is wrapped up in the heavenly kind. Now, if that uh, doesn't satisfy you, I'm going to go to about four or five other passages. I want you now to go to Philippians chapter 1, And if you see up there, I don't want anybody to read the bottom translations, but if anybody has those translations at the top, the NIV, the RSV, the ESV, NASV, New Jerusalem, anybody have any of those translations? And want to read it for me? Read it out loud? I'm always in the classroom, so I've got to keep people awake. You guys are better than my students. They're already sleeping. Come on, anybody got, it, got one of those translations? Part, who's got NIV? Yeah, okay, can you read it for us? Oh. Good, right up to there, that first part. Awful translation. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. Awful. They butchered it. Anybody else? I'm not yelling at you. Okay? Anybody else got one of those top five? Who's got one? you got to stand up and read it. You're going to help me with my case, guys, otherwise it doesn't work. Okay. Can't work the crowd. See ya. So seriously, these translations, they always say something like, Live worthy of the Gospel. Walk worthy of the Gospel. Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the Gospel. And they butcher the translation. That's not what Paul is saying at all. In fact, two more recent translations, the TNIV, which is no longer in print, if anybody has it here, it does it the best. But the New Living Translation, anybody have the New Living? That's becoming an increasingly popular translation. Very good one. Okay, nobody's got it. Here's what it says. Live as citizens worthy of the gospel of Christ. Did you hear the difference? There are other words in the Greek, and you can look at this in a commentary. I'm not blowing Greek on you guys this morning. You read a good commentary and you'll see this stuff. There are words in the Greek for conducting yourselves, for walking, for living. Paul uses, if you look at that word there, it's the verb of the word citizen. So he said later, "Live as uh, we are citizens of heaven... Here, he says, live as citizens worthy of the gospel. Now, I want you to think about this through Roman lenses. This is Philippi, guys. I'm proud to be Roman. And Paul, he starts his letter, 127. He's getting into the meat of his subject. And what does he say? Your ultimate citizenship, your ultimate alignment and allegiance is not Rome. Your ultimate allegiance is that you live as citizens worthy of the gospel. And by the way, anybody know where Paul is writing from? He's in prison. Under what rule? Roman rule. This is really, really subversive language. Now we lose a lot of that because of the world we live in, but it certainly would never have been lost on the Philippians. Well, if you think Paul is radical, he's no more radical than some guy named Jesus. Jesus comes along and uh, when the disciples ask him to pray, he teaches them this prayer. But before you take a look, you can take a look at the slide there. Jesus teaches his disciples to pray. And uh, we got it. Is it coming? Keep going, he says. Um, you remember in the Gospels, Jesus shows up. He comes on the scene and the first words out of his mouth as he, he inaugurates his ministry. He says, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. That doesn't mean the kingdom of God is coming down the road. That means the kingdom of God is right here. When you see this stuff happening, when you see me walking in among you, when you see my ministry and my signs and wonders unfolding in front of you, the kingdom of God is right here in front of you. Now, it's not yet fully complete, but the kingdom has been inaugurated. Jesus says, when you see these things, you know that the kingdom has come upon you. When Jesus is asked by the disciples to uh, teach them how to pray... What does He say as part of the Lord's prayer? Thy kingdom go. Hopefully we can make it through here and get to that kingdom. You guys know that prayer? What does He say? Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done where? On heaven as it is on earth. No mincing of words. Jesus this prayer has a highly political undercurrent to it. Jesus is challenging the authorities of the day, much like Paul. Well, let's go back to Philippians for a moment. Philippians 2, 6-11. Often again, one of the most beloved scriptures in, in the New Testament, some have said has the most incredible theology concerning who Jesus is in all of the New Testament. Some of the earliest Christology, earliest emphasis and, and elevation of Jesus that you see in the first century. And uh, chapter 2 verse uh, 5 through 11, before I read it, I want you to hear something. Many scholars for numerous years have said that the tension here, the contrast, there's a contrast between Jesus and someone else. For many centuries, the view was that the, te- the, the tension was between Jesus and Adam. Jesus is the new Adam, which in fact is something that Paul does in Romans. But Paul doesn't talk about that here, and I'm going to suggest as well that it doesn't seem reasonable that Paul would use that language in Philippi. In fact, I'm going to suggest to you that what Paul is doing here, and I'm not alone on this, this isn't just my view, this is the, the emerging, as we gain more and more evidence of what the cultural landscape was in Philippi, the contrast here is between Jesus and Caesar, now listen very closely. In your relationships with one another, have this mindset, as the same mindset as Christ, as Jesus. Who being in very nature God. Is Jesus God? No doubt. That's a bold statement for these early Christians. Okay, A very, very high statement concerning. Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider with equality with God something to be grasped, or something to be taken advantage of, but rather He made Himself nothing. He took upon Himself the nature of the servant, being made in human likeness, found His appearance in a man. He humbled Himself, became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Now let's stop there. Who's Caesar? Caesar is grasping for divinity. Through the empire, people are worshiping, paying homage to Caesar. Are you following me? Now, if you're a Christian, or if you're a Jew in the first century, there is no other person except God that is to be worshipped. The rights are exclusive here. It's Jesus or nobody. But this is what Caesar demands. You tracking? Jesus Humbles himself. Jesus, who has no need to grasp. He's already God. But what does he do? He comes down, empties himself, which he's saying is a model for the Philippians. And whereas Roman worldview is, we're gonna elevate ourselves. We're, I'm gonna make myself better. That's what Caesar says. But let's see what happens at the end of this. In case anybody wonders who Jesus really is and how he's gonna, how he's gonna come out of this whole thing, He died on a cross under what rule? Roman. Therefore God exalted Him to the highest place and gave Him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Do you know today that we know much of this script that we see in 9 to 11, this kind of stuff, name above all name, at name of, that every knee should bow. While that stuff is found in the Old Testament, that stuff is also found all over statues and architecture in Rome. Every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that Caesar is Lord. When this is written to Philippians, they're not thinking about Galilee. They're living in Branson. Okay? They're not living up in Swan River. They're in the heart of the Roman world. So Paul is really pushing the envelope. One more passage as my time is quickly going by here. Uh, My name is Paul, and I am Jewish. This is another passage that historically people have said what Paul is doing is he's contrasting the law to the gospel. The inability of the law to make one uh, righteous before God. But Paul's not talking about that at all in this passage. In this passage, he's talking about ethnicity. And I'll tell you the answer before I read it, okay? Here's what Paul's going to do. You know what? I'm the Jew of Jews. There ain't no Jew better than me. But if it comes to Jesus, I'd give up my Judaism, I'd give up my Jewishness in a heartbeat for Christ. And what's he doing? He's setting them up. You Romans, you do the same. You don't give up your Jewishness, you give up your Roman ultimate allegiance. Now he's not calling them to no longer be citizens, but calling them in terms of ultimate allegiance. Listen to it. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. (laughs) I'm the Jew of Jews. Circumcised on the eighth day. People of Israel. Tribe of Benjamin. (laughs) A Hebrew of Hebrews. Beat that. You like my little commentary along the way? This is how it's being heard in the minds of these people. In in terms of the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting a church. As for righteousness, based on the law, faultless. Nobody does this Jewish thing better than me. I am the Jew of Jews. But whatever gains, whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. Whatever is more, what is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. Who's Lord in Rome? Caesar. Jesus Christ, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost. I consider them garbage. You know what that word really is? A latrine. You know the, you know the, like the concept here? I consider it like a, like a urinal. We, we euphanize it a little bit. We clean it up a little bit. I consider it like garbage that I may be found in, that I may gain Christ, be found of him. I want to know Christ, the power of his resurrection, participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death and so somehow attaining the resurrection of the dead. Paul understands what it means to live in an oppressive regime. And he understands as well, very well, the concept of what it means not to allow a convergence, this slippery slope between the gospel and empire. And I think that message rings very, very true for many nations of the world today, particularly the United States. That's a message that is very, very true if you understand anything about Islam and the relationship between nation states and the Muslim faith. You're with me. Okay? So here we are. Now we're Canadian. And my message to you this morning, the question that I'm asking is simply a question. I don't have hardcore answers. My goal is to get you out of here thinking, maybe to get you a little bit unnerved, maybe to get you a little upset, maybe to get you happy, uh, whatever is going to be needed for you. But the question I want to ask is, what does it mean for us as Canadians to be Canadians in an age of empire? We live in an imperialistic world today. Those of us who are over the age of 20 and 30, you guys know how the world has changed drastically in the last half century. We live in an age of incredible empires. And the tension between faiths is one that we have to take very, very seriously. So what am I asking you to think about this morning? Canadian citizenship and heavenly citizenship. I am a Canadian. Can I get an amen? No, I don't know. I am a Canadian. I'm very proud of being a Canadian. But there's a fine line between being a Canadian who is patriotic and one who is nationalistic. My citizenship is in heaven. Not when I die and I ultimately get there. The kind of kingdom that I am aligned with, is first and foremost the kingdom of God. Jesus will not reign one day. Jesus reigns now. And Jesus will fully complete His kingdom. He will bring it to total consummation. Thy kingdom come. We pray that prayer. We're not praying that we might get out of here. We're not praying that we might hold on till the end and just make it by the skin of our teeth. No, thy kingdom come. We're not talking about Canada becoming some great flagship nation or the United States or anything. We're calling the kingdom of God an alternative kingdom, one that is not of this world. And when I say of this world, I'm not saying not one that is out over there. It is a different kind of kingdom. So what might it look for us to serve and honor King Jesus? What might it look for us to pledge allegiance to King Jesus? Further reflections, and I close with these ideas. The worship team can start to come up here, but think about some of these. Should we feel ref- uh, somewhat restless with allegiance to our earthly kingdoms? I'm sorry, folks, I'm not trying to, to, to put a downer on Canada today at all, but there should be a slight restlessness with, an, with a sense that we are ultimately aligned to our nation. Where do we find home? Where do we find rest? What is our ultimate home? Where our king resides. What kingdom or nation constitutes home? Do we live somehow like resident aliens? You know, I've been down in the States now for uh, 12 years, and I'm a, I'm a resident alien. Canadians, we have the same. I mean, what an what a awful label. I'm an alien. You know, do I look like an alien? But there's a sense in which we're resident aliens as people of God in this world. And not to be beamed out of here one day, but we present a way, we present an alternative to the ways in which our world is going. The way of King Jesus. So do we mirror the alternate kingdom? Do we mirror society? Do we model the alternative kingdom? I want you to think about that. Now, in a few moments after the worship team... Leads us in a song. We're going to pray a prayer. We're going to pray it together, and um, it's called the Litany of Resistance. And I want to just talk to you for a moment about it. This is a prayer that was written by three individuals. Two names that some of you may know. Shane Claiborne is one. Some of you may know that name. If you don't, you really need to check him out. The other one is Brian Walsh. Pardon me, Bill Walsh. And uh, did I get it right? Brian Walsh. Sorry. Brian is a uh, Canadian who actually teaches at the University of Toronto, a, a wonderful believer. So this has strong American components to it, but it has really global sense to it as well. So I want us, as we share in this prayer in a few moments, to see it as our benediction, but also to see it as our call to action. Some of you won't like parts of it. Get over it. Think about it. Wrestle with it. Struggle with it. Talk to people about it. Okay? There are parts that I hear about the gospel. The gospel is countercultural, it's not a feel good message. Sorry, Joel. Nobody's laughing. So think about it and allow this prayer to be our benediction, but also how we're going to live our lives. And one last thing. I don't want you to pray this prayer thinking primarily as an individual, but I want you to think collectively. What does it mean to pray this prayer as the people of God? As Christians living in Canada? As Christians who hold their hands with other Christians in the United States, in England, and Colombia, in South Africa, in Afghanistan, and China? We're all one body. We're all of the same kingdom. Are you following? All right. Would you stand with me? I won't sing because we'll wreck everything. But I'm gonna ask them to lead us in this song and then we'll come back and we'll do this uh, responsive prayer. Jesus, let your kingdom
1: come here. Let your will be done here. Heaven come. The name of God? I
0: invite you to remain standing, and on the screen behind you, you will see this prayer a litany of resistance. I'll read the, uh, the lighter text, and you can read that which is in bold, and you can read it together. All right, and uh, again, our benediction. And our call to action. Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world.
2: Have mercy on us.
0: Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world.
2: Free us from bondage of sin and death.
0: Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world.
2: Hear our prayer. Grant us peace.
0: For the victims of war. Women, men, and children, the maimed and the crippled. The, the abandoned and the homeless, the imprisoned and the tortured, the widowed and the orphaned, the bleeding and the dying, the weary and the desperate, the lost and the forsaken. Oh God, have mercy on us sinners. Forgive us for, we know not what we do. for our scorched and blackened earth for the scandals of billi- scandal of billions wasted in war forgive us for our arms makers and arms dealers forgive us for our caesar's and herods forgive us for the violence that is rooted in our hearts forgive us for the times we turn others into enemies forgive us deliver us o god
2: guide our feet into the way
0: of peace hear our prayer grant us peace from the arrogance of power from the myth of redemptive violence, from the tyranny of greed, from the ugliness of racism, from the cancer of hatred, from the seduction of wealth, from the addiction of control, from the idolatry of nationalism, from the paralysis of cynicism, from the violence of apathy, from the ghettos of poverty, From a lack of imagination. Deliver us, us, O God. Guide our feet into the way of peace. We will not conform to the patterns of this world.
2: Let us be transformed by the renewing of our minds.
0: With the help of God's grace.
2: Let us resist evil wherever we find it.
0: With the waging of war. We will not comply. With the legalization of murder. We will not comply. We will not with the the slaughter of innocence. With laws that betray human life. We will not With the destruction of community. We will not With the pointing figure and ma- malicious talk. We will not With the idea that happiness must be purchased. We will not With the ravaging of the earth. We will not With principalities and powers that oppress. We will not With the destruction of peoples. With the raping of women. With governments that kill. With the theology of empire. With the business of militarism. With the hoarding of riches. With the dissemination of fear. We Today we pledge our ultimate allegiance to the kingdom of God. We to a peace that is not like Rome's. We we, uh, to the go- gospel of enemy love. To the kingdom of the poor and the broken. To to a king that loves his enemies so much that he died for them. To to the least of these with whom Christ dwells. To to the transnational church that transcends artificial borders of nations. To to the refuge of Nazareth. to To the homeless rabbi who had no place to lay his head. To the cross rather than the sword. To the banner of love above any flag. To the one who rules with a towel rather than with an iron fist. To the one who rides a donkey rather than a war horse. To the revolution that sets both oppressed and oppressors free. To the way that leads to life. To the slaughtered lamb. And together we proclaim His praises from the margins of the empire to the centers of wealth and power.
2: Long live the slaughtered lamb.
0: Long live the slaughtered lamb. lamb. Amen. You may be seated.
2: Thank you, Pastor Marty on this canada day that has given us much to think about thank you for sharing god's word today i trust you've been challenged trust that your hearts are open and as we go our way may we take that word that we've heard and may we put it into practice may we be wonderful representatives of the kingdom of god everywhere that we go every relationship that we have this week may we represent the kingdom well he asked you to sit down i'm going to ask you to stand again and we're going to let you go father we go with your blessing we ask that you'd have your way in our lives we thank you that you are here that your kingdom is now and father we live in that kingdom and we are your your examples of who you are to the community in which you have placed us and we thank you for that opportunity today in your precious name amen